Hello and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. On this episode, we will be talking about one of my very favorite topics in today's child-centered culture, which is, guess what happens if you let your kids treat you like garbage? Now, if anybody has been parenting in this uh, planet recently, and by recently I mean maybe the past 10 years, but it ramps up with every day, you see how child-centered the culture is. The parents' needs are put very, very low on the uh, totem pole, and the children come at all costs. Their, their needs, forget about their needs, their needs should come first, but their wants come before the parents' needs, which is crazy. I mean, to make a not-child-related analogy, in BDSM, the doms and the sub are supposed to have their needs and wants like this. It's supposed to be the sub's needs come first, then the dom's needs, then the sub's wants, then the dom's wants. Maybe I messed that up. Either way, the dom's wants are still supposed to come below the sub's needs, but his wants come before the sub's wants. Now, this is makes sense. So the person who's a dependent, which in my analogy would be the submissive or the child, their needs come first, but then the other person, their wants should come and their needs should come before the dependents want because that person needs to put on their own oxygen mask. Now, I know you don't have a BDSM relationship with your children. If you do, your my podcast should not be your first stop. You know, that, that should be a a different sort of uh, care that, that you might need. But the point is here, if you got to take care of somebody, you cannot make your own day terrible and never indulge any of your wants because then you're not going to have the capacity to take care of their actual needs. So if you let your children stamp all over your needs and your wants, then you are going to end up burned out and depleted and your children are going to think that the world revolves around them. Also, and this is something that nobody wants, if you let your children get all of their individual little whims and desires catered to at the expense of your own, guess what? They're going to turn into a narcissist. Why? Because they never have to go without any little indulgence at home, so when they become adults, they're not going to want to go without that either. They have been trained to expect that their needs, wants, little whims, anything, preferences, get indulged at the expense of the other person. If they don't understand that they have to sometimes not get their needs met, then this means that as an adult in an intimate relationship, they're also going to think the same thing. So if your son sits around, does basically nothing he doesn't want to do, uh, you say you'd like to watch something on TV, well, if, if, you even, if you even say that, sometimes parents don't even say what they want to watch on TV, you would already be ahead of the curve. You say that and he says, no, no, we got to watch what I want. And then you let, you, you let him do that. Guess whose 30-year-old ass is going to be on the couch acting like that same tyrant to his own wife, you know, 20 years from now you are going to feel very deeply embarrassed at that point and there will be nothing to do about it. Something that used to be considered a default perspective on the world but is no longer is that parenting is basically supposed to train the child how to be an effective adult in the world. It is not supposed to just make them happy in the moment. 
This doesn't mean to go out of your way to make your kids unhappy, but there are natural consequences of treating them like people, not like the center of the universe, but like people. And some of those involve that other people's preferences are going to come first. And this is something that will make them better as an adult, as an employee, as a partner, and as a parent themselves, because they will over time gradually get used to the idea that they are not the center of the universe and that they're not supposed to be. And that in any given day, All of the family members deserve to do the things that they want to do. And the parents who bust their asses working, in fact, deserve to pick what they do with their own money more than the children do. When the children grow up and they work and they have their own money, then they can pick what they do all the time. So this is sort of anathema nowadays because people who were treated as non-entities growing up They try to go 180 degrees opposite, which means that the children are the only entities and the parents themselves act like non-entities. Now, whenever you go 180 degrees to counter something that your own parents did, you already know you're probably not going down the right path. Because if they were crazy on one end of the spectrum, now you don't want to be crazy on the other end of the spectrum. you got to be somewhere in between. So there's a whole generation of kids who felt that their needs were completely invalidated. And so then they swing the pendulum over so that the child never has to be invalidated for one single second. And I write about this a lot in my posts, specifically about do not over-validate your child. In this case, I see parents who the child has one eyebrow moves in a direction and the parent is already jumping up with Roger's thesaurus about all the possible feelings the child could be feeling, not even allowing the child to have the mental, emotional, or even physical space to figure out what they may be feeling themselves. Sometimes they're not really very upset at all. But then in comes the well-meaning parent. Oh, my God, that seems so hard for you. Are you having some big feelings? Oh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then the child thinks, A, my feelings are the center of the universe. B, it's terrible to have a big feeling. C, I didn't think I was that upset, but I mean, I must be. So it's like really like deeply invalidating then. Leads to a lot of confusion. You lead to kids who literally don't know what they're feeling without the parent there to tell them, which we could probably all agree is not a mentally healthy outcome. But anyhow, because these parents themselves were invalidated, they feel particularly, and this this is the worst when you grew up with narcissistic parents yourself, or borderline parents, parents who struggle with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, um, any of this. So the parents didn't have the bandwidth to really acknowledge the child's existence as a separate entity at all. So then the parent, who's now in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they decide they will never replicate this and instead the child will be the center of everything all the time. This is completely wrong too. And in fact, it's interesting because there's this whole failure to launch thing where kids don't leave their parents' house. At some point this occurs to the parents, this is bad. Well, how did this happen? Well, you know what happened? They don't like to do anything that they don't want to do. They don't like to, rather, they don't find any value in doing anything they don't want to do because they never had to do it because they were always protected from any sort of distress. They did not learn any frustration tolerance. And quite honestly, they don't really want to get away from the parents at all because the parents still make the meals, still give them money. They give them free place to stay. I mean, kind of, you would have to be a really... Uh, unusual sort of person to get out of that sort of scenario and to decide to do something difficult like move out on your own. So 
Anyhow, what we're looking at here are parents that really are, for all the best reasons, they don't want to replicate their own childhood, but they put the child on a pedestal, and then they're surprised when the child turns around and treats them like garbage, and then when that carries through to treating friends badly or eventually significant others. So what should you do if you realize that your child is the one that doesn't really care how you feel and what you want and really prioritizes themselves at all times? First, you got to look at what you are teaching them. Are you ever saying, no, it doesn't matter what you want to watch on TV. It matters what I want to watch on TV. I am a person too. You have just played Minecraft or done whatever you wanted to do, gone outside. Now it is my time to relax. Have you said that ever? Or do you say, well, I don't know. Well, you know, maybe you would like it. Well, okay, fine, forget it. We'll do what you want. This is not your child's fault, then, that your child is acting like a jerk, right? Your child is picking up what you're putting down, and what you're putting down is that you're not important. Remember, you learned that in childhood, probably, if this is how you act. So you learned you were not important in childhood, and now you're teaching your child the same thing. This is why people end up saying, oh my God, I'm so triggered by my child, they act just like my parent. Of course they do. You're acting like the person that enables a narcissist. You didn't deal, not your fault, many people don't like to deal with this stuff, but you have never processed and worked through your own complicated relationship with your upbringing. So then you are, your identity is the enabler of a narcissist. So now you've got a new person in your life called your child, and what, how are you going to act? Like the enabler of a narcissist. Well, there's then only one role that your child can fall into, which is a narcissist. <laughs> I mean, you're acting like you don't matter. So how is your child going to realize that you matter? How do you then change this dynamic? Well, the first way is to specifically tell your child that a change is coming. You can say, I have noticed that I am very resentful because I don't get any of the things in a day to do that I like to do. I feel like I have created this problem by doing things only that you want to do. And so we're going to change. Your child's not really going to know what this means, but I mean, it is always useful to get into the practice of telling people what's happening whenever you're going to change. That's only fair. So then what, what happens? So let's say you want to read your book instead of playing. Well, then you read your book instead of playing. You say to your child, no, I really like my book. I'm enjoying reading my book. I mean, this reading thing is just so funny because parents want the child to learn to read and to love to read. They never see the parents read, barely ever, because the parent is so busy, you know, dealing with the child and doing what the child wants. And if you read in front of the child, that is such a good predictor of whether your child is going to end up liking to read because now they view it as something that adults like to do. So anyway, you could say, no, I would rather read my book than play whatever game. Or if your child is somebody that doesn't ask about your day and you somehow think that this comes out of the clear blue sky that they would know how to do that, or the fact that you ask them about their day, it doesn't. They have to be told, like they have to be told anything else because they're a child. They don't come out of the womb with any set idea about how to behave. They're learning it from you. So if you say to your child, how was your day? And they tell you, then you say, okay, so ask, how was my day? And your child will always say, how was your day? They'll look at you a little weird maybe, but usually they say, all right, how was your day? And then you actually talk about your day. 
you say, well, this part about my job was interesting, or this part was frustrating, or this thing happened that I liked or right, that I didn't like. And then your child, if they look away and they start looking at you know, their device or something, you also say, hey, listen, that's rude. Come back. I'm still talking. And you talk for a couple of minutes about your day. This means that your child has learned that somebody else's day is important and they actually know words to say to ask about somebody's day and a way to act facially and in their nonverbal cues when this person is talking about their day. You can also prompt your children to be nicer to your co-parent. Hey, ask dad how his day was. Hey, ask dad if he needs help uh, unpacking the groceries. Hey, seems like dad is a little bit tired Maybe leave him alone right now. So parents can also look out for each other in promoting empathy with the child. People do this with their sibling, with the child and the other children. So you're always saying, be nice to your sister, be nice to your brother. But when they do not see adults being nice to each other, or when they don't have to be nice to adults, the whole thing seems kind of stupid. You know, kids don't really like doing stuff that's just for kids and just on principle. You know, it's like doing those endless, you know, phonics worksheets or something that you know is just kind of busy work. So if you're supposed to be nice to your sister and brother, but then mom and dad aren't really very nice to each other, and you're supposed to ask about, you know, how your sister's dance recital was, but you never ask anything to adults, well, you know, it doesn't seem as as real. It doesn't seem as all-encompassing a philosophy, you know, to look out for other people, because most of the people in the home are not included, i.e. the adults. Similarly, if you have some sort of interest that you would like to pursue that your child is not interested in, well, again, how are they going to come out of the womb interested in things without being exposed to them multiple times? There's research that you have to be exposed to a new food, I think, 12 times or maybe more before you even know if you like it or not, before you can acquire a taste. It's the same thing for anything else. So if your hobby is... uh, playing your guitar, and your child is uninterested, well, your child needs to try a whole bunch doing it with you, just like you do your child's hobbies with them, just like you facilitate all of their hobbies. Well, if your desire is to, what you think would be nice, is for your child and you to play guitar together, why not make that a fun thing for them to do? By the way, this also helps your life dramatically when the stuff you do with your kids is stuff that you actually like, instead of stuff that only they like. So if a lot of the time you play board games or you take them sledding or you do whatever it is that they like the most, but then sometimes they play guitar with you or scrapbook with you or play piano with you or read a book with you or whatever it is that you like, then they learn, oh, I don't only do things that I like, I also do things that the other person likes. And you know what? I didn't like it at first, but now I do. And you can also narrate that whenever your child changes their mind about something or when you do so that your child doesn't think that their preferences are etched in stone or that human preferences in general are etched in stone. Oh, I didn't really think I would like that, but then it turned out I did. Oh, remember when you didn't think that you would like carrots and now you like carrots, etc. People are always changing and growing and learning is, is the point of that. So to summarize here, if your child treats you kind of like garbage, and this is something that you notice on birthdays or just on your run-of-the-mill day of the week, or, you know, birthdays by which I mean your birthday, speaking of which, you can tell your child to do a nice job for your birthday. You can say, yes, I would like X for my birthday, and you can have your co-parent go get you a 
gift with the child that you actually want. Now it's nice to get something made out of popsicle sticks or a little picture, but it's also nice to get a nice normal present, the sort of present that you would like your child to be able to get for a friend or for later a significant other, like an actual present, a shirt or a CD or, you know, anything, a book, something that's for you, not for not, not, not just something that they whip up that morning because they, nobody really wanted to impinge upon their precious time and make them do something that might be a burden to them. So yes, adult birthdays should be celebrated with similar pomp and circumstance to the child's birthday. It doesn't have to be a party at Chuck E. Cheese. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but it could be something that you like, like a nice dinner out as a family and a gift and some cards and a cake. That's a nice way to celebrate an adult's birthday. Now, if for some reason you do this for your spouse and they never do it for you, then you're also letting your spouse treat you like shit. So, I mean, that would be take some of the tips from here and move them to your spouse. Odds are, in that situation, you think, well, my spouse is an adult. If they don't value me, there's nothing I can do about it. They're just a jerk and, you know, my life is, it sucks. You know, no, that is not how that should go. It's likely you saw one parent treating another poorly when you were growing up, so you think that's the only thing, the only possible dynamic, but it's not. Similar, so you could say to a spouse, for my birthday, I would like a cake and a dinner out and a gift. And if your spouse really cannot do that, then that's what couples counseling is for. Things like that, where one spouse and the other spouse cannot meet each other's needs after discussion. And then a third party can often help iron that out. But that's an aside. Back to your narcissistic children, or the children that we're preventing from becoming narcissistic. So these children should understand there are ways to celebrate a birthday. There are things to ask another human being when you see them. How was your day? Did you have a good day? What did you do today? That's also from the child to the parent as well. Also, you shouldn't be doing all of the child's preferred activities without yours. You should be doing your preferred activities a lot of the time. Remember my BDSM analogy there. You are the one who is taking care of this whole shebang. They are the dependent. While it is important to feed them when they are hungry, you know, and to do all of their basic needs, your wants should come next. You want to take a trip to Florida, so the family goes to Florida. They're going to enjoy Florida if you frame it like that. It doesn't matter if they would rather sit at home and play video games. They're still going to go to Florida because you are an important, valuable human being. And if you do not train your child that you're an important, valuable human being, there is no way that in later relationships they're going to understand that the other partner is also a valuable human being and they're not the only one who has valid desires. If you really struggle with this concept and you are racked with guilt over the idea of not indulging your child, uh, then therapy can be super helpful. I am betting there's a lot of family of origin stuff going on and parents who, through no fault of their own, did not have the bandwidth to focus on somebody's needs that were not theirs and you did not learn that you were very important and you're carrying that cycle forward. In order to break the cycle, therapy can really help you both understand the origin of the pattern, observe it happening in real time, and then work to change it in various moments when you would go back to the old behavior, you can challenge yourself to engage in a slightly new behavior. So that, that's how therapy can help with this idea of getting out of the children treating you like garbage zone. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you did. Please let me know. I like doing these. I've gotten a lot of feedback that it's interesting to hear some of my posts discussed in more depth. So that is always useful. Um, I can get a lot more words into a podcast than I can into a post. So let me know other topics that you'd like to hear. And have a great day.